Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 158 of the Australian Hiker podcast, and this week we talk snowshoeing. Now, hiking, bushwalking, whatever you want to call it, it's all about getting into the outdoors and walking through nature. While Australia doesn't have the same sort of extreme winters as Europe or North America, the Australian Alps usually gets covered in snow for a number of months of the year. For many of us, this means that some of our favourite hiking destinations have gone to sleep and we need to look for other options. But why is that? Recently we tried snowshoeing to see if this walking option provided an alternative to hibernation for accessing the alpine regions during the colder months. In this podcast episode, we talk about a few things. The first is a bit about getting into snowshoeing and what's involved. The second will play you a series of recordings we did on a recent snowshoeing tour up to Perisher in the Australian Alps. And in our last interview, we talked to Bruce Easton from Wilderness Sports to find out a bit more about snowshoeing in the Australian Alps. We hope you enjoy. Now, first up, what is snowshoeing? And I think for most of us, we're familiar with the old movies or the cartoons that it appears that people are walking on what looks like tennis rackets. Uh, Typically, it's based in North America or Canada. Uh, And I must admit, I had a thought about this, that uh, up until probably the last couple of years, I hadn't really thought about snowshoeing in relation to uh, an Australian perspective. But essentially, the idea of snowshoeing is putting a snowshoe uh, on uh, on the bottom of your feet. Uh, And typically, what this does is to increase the surface area which means your downward weight isn't leaving deep holes and making you struggle as you walk through the snow. In simple terms, snowshoeing is just an extension of hiking, except with snow involved. Yeah, and we've, uh, as Tim said, haven't really thought about deliberately going out into the snow, though in the last couple of years we've found ourselves walking through snow uh, with a thought in our head saying, gee, this is hard work and you know, perhaps there's an easier way. So first up, getting started. Now, both Jill and I have done mountaineering in the past, but really that's involved crampons uh, and ice climbing and all sorts of other things like walking over glaciers, um, but never used snowshoes before. So from our perspective, we decided that to get the best out of a snowshoeing experience, we'd go on an organised tour with people that knew what they were doing. And certainly that's a good option. The other alternative is to go with friends who are experienced and that can look after you or finding an alpine club that's going to run uh, those sort of activities as well. But I think in all honesty, while there are plenty of ski clubs around, finding a club that does snowshoeing is probably not as common. The next thing you need to consider is layering for comfort. Now, in most cases, the clothing and wet weather gear that you have for hiking are going to suit your needs for snowshoeing. Uh, essentially what you don't want to do is get cold, uh, particularly in a snow environment because that's where hypothermia can set in. 
but you also don't want to get too hot. So wearing big bulky jackets that are way too hot because you are going to be exerting yourself, you are going to be generating sweat. And if you've got heavy thick layers on, all that means is you're going to get wet. Uh, and when you stop walking, you're going to start cooling down and getting cold. So having a number of layers uh, is going to give you the options and the flexibility to get yourself just as warm as you need to be. Now the next thing to consider is eye care. For those of you who have spent time in the snow fields, you know that snow and very sunny bright days tend to create a lot of reflection um, and it's very easy to get sunburnt even in the middle of winter uh, in the snow field. Um, if it is a bright sunny day, uh, having a decent pair of sunglasses or a pair of ski goggles is really important. Now you don't need to go out and splurge and spend up big if, if you know this is something you're only ever going to do once, but make sure you've got a decent pair of sunglasses with you um, that are going to protect your eyes from uh, the bright conditions if that's what you've got. Yeah, and I think just on that, uh, I was probably surprised, not just uh, in terms of uh, using sunglasses in the snow, but um, most of the other kit that we had for normal hiking was just fine to be able to go out snowshoeing. So um, it was our normal hiking pants and layers uh, with our waterproofs over the top, um, a beanie, um, our sunglasses and a neck warmer and uh, some several layers of gloves, I must admit. <laughs> but, you know, really, uh, they were all things that we had and we didn't tend to use them all at once, but on this occasion we did. And I think the only thing that really varied from my perspective is typically I don't tend to walk in waterproof footwear when I'm hiking. Yeah. Um, but in this case here, when you're up in the snow, a good pair of uh, waterproof footwear is, is, is pretty critical. Otherwise, your feet are going to get pretty cold. Yeah, likewise, I, I put on a bare, pair of boots, which I don't normally wear, and um, a sturdy pair of waterproof boots at that. Now, in relation to specialised equipment, there's a couple of pieces of equipment that you need that unless you're actually into snowshoeing already, you're not likely to have at home. The first one is tracking poles with decent snow baskets. And when we're talking about a basket, that's the bit of plastic at the bottom. And a snow basket is a almost a bit of a star shape or a round shape. And it's, it's quite a large uh, sort of... Um, plastic extension, if you like, that sits on the bottom of the uh, the tracking pole. And what this means is when you jab your tracking pole into the snow, it doesn't disappear halfway up the length of the pole uh, because the snow baskets actually prevent it from going anywhere. Well, it depends on how new the snow is and how much powder there was. And a couple of times, you know, I, I did uh, see my pole disappear quite deeply into the snow. So you know, for, for a lot of people, I've got a number of pairs of tracking poles, some of the really ultralight ones that have the very small or no, no basket on them at all really aren't going to be suitable for working in the snow. Um, you can hire these things, but if you've got a pair of tracking poles that have got a decent plastic basket on the end, they'll be fine. And the other thing is that um, mostly poles, if you've got the poles, they usually come with different... Um, baskets so you might actually have um, a bigger pair tucked away somewhere at home that you thought you didn't know what to do with but if you go out into the snow you'll know. 
Now, the most obvious thing here as far as specialised equipment is the snowshoes themselves. Yeah, it's not uh, quite called snowshoeing if you're not wearing a snowshoe, no, is it? No, no. And the main thing to know about snowshoes is they're designed to suit a given weight, uh, and which includes your, yourself, your clothing and your pack. So in my instance, on the day that we went out snowshoeing, my total weight was 111 kilos uh, or 244 pounds, which is everything, you know, fully dressed, standing on a spare of scale. And those heavy boots. And the, and the heavy boots, <laughs> yep. Uh, now, if you choose a pair of snowshoes that are, uh, aren't really designed for your weight, it means you're more likely to sink into uh, uh, the soft, powdery sort of snow if those are the conditions you've got. Snowshoes are also made for doing different activities, and uh, some of them are made for walking on icy conditions, other for uh, on, on steep hills and in backcountry. And this is where you really need to talk to a store that is going to be able to provide you the information on what the right sort of snowshoes for your needs are. Uh, but initially, if you're not going on an organised tour, look at go into the store, hire a pair, talk to the, the people that are hiring them and say, this is what you're interested in doing, and they'll make the recommendations for you. Next, we're going to play you a series of interviews that we recorded on our recent trip up to Perisher, just to give you an idea what Snowshoe was like in real time. It's Saturday the 8th of August. Uh, Jill and I have come up to Perisher to spend the day snowshoeing and we've got our guide Danielle here who you'll hear from later on in the day. So we're just in at the, um, the Wilderness Sports uh, office up here, uh, just uh, meeting up with our guide and collecting our gear for the day and you can hear there's quite a lot of noise in the background. Uh, there's a lot of people really get, getting ready to go out on trips uh, and getting geared up for the day. So, how are you looking forward to it, Jill? I am looking forward to it. It would have been lovely if the sun was shining, but uh, there's plenty of snow, and it is snowing, and so we're all covered up and uh, making sure that we don't get wet. So, got wet pants on and a, and a waterproof jacket and so on, which is not something that we would normally go hiking in. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, we'll catch up during the day. Okay, it's 10.20. We've been going probably around about uh, 50 minutes now. Um, and we're doing the Porcupine Trail, um, which is taking us up a valley. And there is a creek in the middle of the valley, which is uh, um, we're keeping away from. Uh, otherwise, we'd like to get very wet. Uh, but lots of fresh snow, very soft. Um, so the going is a bit hard because we're even, even with me following behind two other people, I'm still sinking into... Jill's tracks which I'm following immediately behind um, so I've already stopped and taken off one layer of clothing um, it's not as cold as I thought it would be no it's all relative isn't it I mean we're moving um, reasonably steady so that's keeping the the body temperature up um, it's still snowing quite in my book quite a bit I don't know <laughs> Um, if, if that's uh, quite a bit or not. Um, but, yeah, it's it's quite an interesting way of um, – well, it's a good way to get through the snow, um, but definitely noticing it on the, the legs, even though we haven't come very far. It's a good workout. Okay, and now I'll introduce Danielle, who's our guide for the day. So she's taking Jill and I up to uh, – on this walk. So, uh, Danielle, uh, I'd just like to introduce yourself. 
Hi, <laughs> Danielle. Um, yeah, working for Wilderness Sports out um, on the Porcupine Trail, heading up. Um, usually you can see a beautiful view of the main range. Uh, we'll see if we can spot it today. There's a lot of snow. Um, but yeah, obviously beautiful conditions, fresh, soft snow. It's lovely. Okay, well, we'll press on. Okay, it's 11.20. We've just stopped um, probably around about... 40-45 minutes from the top of our destination. Um, we've just stopped off for some morning tea. Have a bit of a break. Uh, how are you going, Jill? I'm going. I'm going well. Um, <laughs> this is still hard work. Uh, I'm going to enjoy the downhill run. I think <laughs> um, it's not outrageously hard, but you definitely know that you're you're moving, and it's a different kind of movement. Um, so you know, uh, in a way, it feels like lots of step ups at the gym. I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a bit the same as well. It's definitely a good workout, um, particularly because the snow's nice and fresh. It's a bit soft as well. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm glad I don't have a, an 18 kilo pack on. <laughs> it's a stunning landscape, though. It's just beautiful. And, um, you know, uh, we've had a little bit of snow. We've had just a tiny little bit of rain. And now it's just quite very still. That noise you may have heard in the background is some of the uh, the snow falling off the, the branches of the, the, the Mali eucalypts that are here. Um, the things that I've learned this morning is um, pay attention when you're turning around to take a photo. I managed to fall over once, uh, <laughs> stepping on my own snowshoe and trying to move the wrong one. Yeah, and you can't go backwards. <laughs> no, and you can't go backwards either. It doesn't work very well. Uh, really are designed to go forward. So learning how to, how to navigate that. Okay, talk to you later. It's 12.44, we're up the top uh, of our walk, so we've walked approximately 3.3 uh, kilometres and it's taken us uh, around about four hours, three and a half, four hours. Uh, so again, it's um, um, it's not difficult, but it's slow going. It's sort of um, just putting one foot in front of the other and you know, you're not going to move as fast as you do if you're, if you're hiking on, on dry ground or if you, you came up here and did this walk in the middle of summer. Definitely feel the uh, the exertion uh, and using muscles, different muscles than what I'm used to hiking, which is not a bad thing because they're muscles I've been trying to strengthen anyway. So it's actually worked out quite well. Um, so we're in a body bag, which is basically the best way to describe it for those people who haven't been in one before, is a almost a, a, like a, a tent fly. Uh, and we're, there's three of us in here and the shelter is apparently suitable for 10 people. And you might be able to hear it. <laughs> flapping around at the moment um, but it means that yeah, we can get in here get out of the wind and get a bit warm um, so it's uh, uh, yeah it's nice and cozy just a good place to have some lunch yeah so as Tim said we've, we've had our lunch and um, we're just uh, having a little bit of a rest before I guess we head back down uh, to um, uh, the way we came I think is probably the, the only way is it Danielle? Um, we're going to take a a little short variant kind of like go back down um okay yeah different way okay that's good and um we were talking to danielle earlier about um how she, how she came to be here and um she's got a great story so we thought you'd be interested in hearing um her journey to sitting in this little um body body bag boppy boppy it feels like a body bag yeah. <laughs> big shower cap yeah yeah so I think about three years ago I was working in hospitality loving it but just 
really didn't enjoy my day unless I was outside. Um, so decided to first of all just try out some some more overnight hiking. Went to New Zealand, did a bunch of their walks over there, which was super accessible um, for someone those, solo hiking. Yeah, you did those solo. Yeah, I just went and got as much information as I could and tried to gain um, as much knowledge about the area and hiking and what gear to bring that I could and the weather and just went out and did it and met other people, learnt off them along the way, which was a great experience to learn off other people and um, what they had done and then decided to start studying, moved to the Blue Mountains, did a cert for in outdoor recreation, which gave me awesome skills in navigation, being out in the wilderness, guiding people, um, roping, canyoning, and then decided to take those skills down to Tassie for some of their longer distance walks and guiding those walks down there has been amazing. And when I'm not at work, just getting out and doing some of their harder walks down there which has been amazing um, really testing myself personally has been exciting and bringing that experience then to work it's been really great yeah and you split your year between Perisher and uh, Tassie yeah so come down we'll come up from Tasmania to Perisher for the winter season um, which has been amazing love it down here and all the snow sports that are on offer and and then yeah summer spent in Tassie oh, that's great that's great and it's good to it's good to hear um you know that there is a, a future in um an employment in outdoor education and outdoor sports and uh you know it's great to see that um people are still seeing that as a, a as a viable option and and uh you know I think it's probably a little bit difficult because you do have to be a bit mobile you do have to be able to change with the seasons and go where there is work. But once you enter the industry, there's actually so many opportunities. Like all these doors start opening up and heaps of niche um, opportunities that just come up that you kind of didn't think even existed. You go, does that job even exist? <laughs> and yeah, it does. Here I am taking people snowshoeing um, to Porcupine Rocks and yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> All right, well, we'll hear from Danielle a little bit later when we uh, get get uh, down back to the <laughs> shop. I think we'll, we'll um, do a little bit more interviewing. Okay, so it's 2.30. We're back at the National Park Centre in Parisha Village. Um, so we finished for the day. We went up and did the Porcupine Trail, had lunch and came back. Uh, we could have stayed out a bit longer, just decided that uh, we're both buggered. So we, we uh, uh, good day, uh, and, the, and the snow has started to settle back in again. Not heavy, but pretty consistent. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, it was lovely and um, probably something that I never thought I'd do uh, before. Um, uh, coming down was much easier, and, uh, you know, partly it was downhill, um, but there was still quite a bit of snow um, cover from... Uh, in addition to what we had this morning so uh, yeah, there were a couple of places and uh, yeah Tim and I both did have a little bit of a tumble just one each you had to have one each <laughs> okay so thank you for Danielle for your time thank you for coming guys it's been a pleasure it's been really lovely
So we hope you found that series of short interviews to be helpful. Um, one thing that I would say here, there, from our perspective, uh, there are a couple of things that we learned uh, from our day out. And again, remembering that this is the first time we, we'd actually gone snowshoeing as opposed to, to mountaineering or, or just hiking in the snow. The first thing is basically snowshoeing pretty much is you are walking in the snow, so it really is like hiking. The main difference is you've got a slightly wider gait to make allowances for these large uh, pieces of, <laughs> uh, of, of artificial construction that are strapped to your feet. Really, from our perspective, what we found that uh, using snowshoes really was not a lot of difference uh, than uh, uh, hiking. Um, uh, but we will talk about what some of those differences were in a moment. Yeah, it was a really interesting thing because I did expect there to be um, a, a, a little bit more uh, technical requirement in and things to think about, and um, there wasn't very much at all, other than um, as you say, Tim, just widening your 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 stance a little bit more. Um, it was easier to walk in the tracks of other people, um, particularly when it was very, very powdery and, and uh, deep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you you can get around. It did take us a long time to get to the top of that hill, though. Yeah, <laughs> it is a bit slower than walking on, uh, walking through bushland. Uh, your pace definitely does slow, uh, slow right down. And, and certainly from my perspective, the day we went, we'd had a lot of snow not, not far beforehand. It was really deep and powdery. Uh, uh, and I found that I was walking at the back using the camera uh, and I was quite happy to walk in uh, our guide, Danielle's and uh, Jill's footprints. It just made it easier for me having 30, 40 odd kilos on the, on the two of them um, because even then I was still sinking into the snow. Both Jill and I managed to fall over on our tour, and in my case, twice. <laughs> uh, now, self-inflicted on both cases, and in fact, I think in all three cases here, the thing that I learned is don't walk in one direction and look in the other. And specifically in my case, I was walking and taking photos off to the side, and out of habit, you're, you find that your snowshoes will cross over one another, uh, and then you go to lift the, your other foot, and all of a sudden you go over. So in both cases, had I been paying attention to where I was going, uh, I wouldn't have had that issue. And I almost, almost got back to um, Perisher and uh, uh, the outdoor store to take my snowshoes off and uh, was just uh, trying to watch where one of those um, people mover vehicles uh, was headed and just went right over it was just didn't hurt myself um it was plenty of snow for that so to to stop my fall um but yeah a little bit embarrassing because i i almost made it to the end it does however teach you how to get stand back up again <laughs> yeah, <it does. laughs> and that is a bit of a special skill the, the other thing that we learnt was that snowshoeing is a full body workout. Um, you know, you've got poles that you're using, you're walking through the snow and, a, and it is a, a slightly uh, ab abnormal gait compared to just normal walking. You're walking through a very soft sort of surface in our case um, and 
I had problems with bursitis on my right knee last year, uh, and partly because I wasn't developing the the, the muscles on my inner legs. Uh, and I tell you what, snowshoeing uses every muscle you physically mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. Um, we found that um, we probably did. I think it was round about just on seven kilometres for the day. Uh, we slept really well that night. Um, so. Definitely, if you want a good workout, it's certainly going to do that for you. I think overall, uh, and you would have heard this in the interview, um, it really was a, a, an interesting sort of uh, uh, experience. Um, you know, it's a wide environment. You've got white snow. Uh, on the day we did it, we didn't have sunlight. It was overcast. It was raining. Uh, and by the end of the day, it was actually snowing quite heavily. And just as we were driving out of the park, the snow got really heavy. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't enjoy that at all. <laughs> that, that wasn't my favourite driving experience. So, yeah, it's the sort of thing that, yeah, while I think it's lovely to have a nice sunny day, it was still a really good experience, even with the conditions that we had. So yeah, uh, we, we weren't, weren't particularly fussed about um, uh, uh, having clear sunny skies to enjoy ourselves. We enjoyed ourselves anyway. And we did ask Danielle about why you would actually cancel a snow, uh, a snowshoe tour or a snowshoe trip, and uh, it, it made sense that you know when you're getting high winds, very cold temperatures, and uh, rain, uh, and that's where you're potentially going to have issues with hypothermia. That's when they look at saying, "Yeah, no, people aren't going to enjoy themselves." Um, for both of us. We had enough gear to keep ourselves warm and toasty. Uh, I started the day off with without gloves. Uh, the gloves went on fairly shortly. <laughs> uh, and after lunch, the temperature did drop and I got the winter snow gloves out. So um, yeah, we had the appropriate gear to keep us warm. Um, but it's um, the one thing I did find that I hadn't thought about is trying to take a or take photos using a camera uh, with snow gloves isn't a particularly easy activity. Yeah, so a couple of the pictures have got you know Fing- it, fingers sticking yeah, out, glove covered fingers, and I, I was fine until I had to take my gloves off to have some lunch. Um, I couldn't quite navigate the uh, the lunch pack. Uh, with the gloves on and uh, my hands did get a bit cool but once I put the layers back on and put the over gloves over the top and we started moving again uh, they they certainly um, warmed up pretty quickly. Okay so next up we talked to Bruce Easton owner of Wilderness Sports an outdoor adventure store located in the New South Wales Australian Alps that specializes in mountain adventures including snowshoeing. Bruce thank you for taking the time to have a chat. Yeah, awesome to catch up and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to speak a little bit more about snowshoeing. Okay, so first up, tell us a bit about Wilderness Sports. How long have you been there for and what does Wilderness Sports actually do? So Wilderness Sports has been around since 1977, based here in the Snowy Mountains. Uh, We have for many, many years focused pretty much on uh, winter adventures and we've tried to develop the summertime but uh, I guess like a lot of things, uh, winter in uh, Jindabyne is pretty much a focus on snow sports and it's a wonderful place to come and bushwalk as many people know but um, I guess people do have nine to five lives and uh, on the weekends we're a little bit busier 
but uh, we've been here running um, tours as well. So it's not just an outdoor store uh, that specialises with hires of uh, outdoor equipment and retailing. It's also um, very much a guiding business to introduce people into the mountains. And we were the original licensed operator uh, running tours in adventures in the snowy mountains. I must admit, I don't, I don't know what it's like these days. I uh, I was doing something slightly out of the ordinary a few years ago, and the amount of paperwork you have to fill out. I don't I don't envy tour operators and the amount of uh, paperwork they have to fill out to operate within the the parks up there. It is very challenging, uh, especially with insurance and the cost of uh, travel insurance, uh, and just being a licensed operator. There are certainly a number of conditions, but. Uh, I guess it's something we're very passionate about to introduce people into the mountains and we have not only the skills but the staff that come and join us, especially for the winter months, are incredibly passionate and get the opportunity to share that with the people who come and either go cross-country skiing or alpine touring or all of the different aspects that we have. But certainly we've seen a lot of growth over the past probably 20 to 25 years in snowshoeing and I guess like everything worldwide, uh, snowshoeing is one of those sleeper sort of sports that even bushwalkers don't necessarily understand and appreciate, uh, mainly because if you're a bushwalker, you sort of think of the bush. And being in an alpine environment as we are, there's plenty of times through November and even December months where we might get a fall of snow and suddenly people have got to realise that, well, there's more ways of getting around the mountains than just bushwalking, and that's when snowshoeing suddenly hits people's radar. I must admit, and, I, uh, I, I, from my perspective, I've always associated snowshoeing with America, uh, and yeah, and it's only because of the movies and you see all the old adventure movies where they've got people snowshoeing, but I've never really thought about it from an Australian perspective before. It is interesting. I mean, I, I did purchase my first pair of snowshoes when I was doing some mountaineering in Kathmandu. And obviously, after expeditions, a lot of people jettison equipment. And so that was the opportunity I took to get my first pair. And when I was taking groups of people out with companies like World Expeditions, uh, I always used to take a pair of snowshoes with me because I kind of retained them as a bit of a um, get out of jail card if someone had an injury or um, was struggling a little bit on the skis I could always put them on a pair of snowshoes and that way they could always be mobile and walk about irrespective of either skills or the snow conditions Yeah I think I think I must admit I um uh, we we did a hike in Canberra a couple of years ago and we started the walk and it was sunny and clear ground and halfway up the hill the snow kicked in and, and you know within sort of a kilometre we were we were walking through two foot of very soft snow uh, and and there were a couple of people that passed us with snowshoes and, uh, and you know that for me that's probably the thing that really prompted uh, the whole thought about snowshoeing that they do have their places and as you say sometimes it's just a really good option than than trying to you know the the snow's not good enough to ski on and it's it's too wet and uh, too thick to sort of walk through comfortably in just standard hiking footwear. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I distinctly remember one time um, going for a hike down to Cascade Hut. Um, 
just south of Trebo. And basically, I looked at the forecast and the weather was going to be a bit challenging, but I thought, oh, I'll probably sneak in down there and get back out before the snow sort of arrives. And that was around Easter. And I ended up actually having to hike out in about two feet of snow um, to actually, by the time I came up onto Bob's Ridge, um, you know, where it's still a high high place, um, and it basically became incredibly challenging. But this winter, especially many people, because of the icy conditions, have found that snowshoes have definitely got a real place. Um, no matter whether you're just a hiker wanting to travel around, or as more and more people are starting to leave the resorts with snowboards and start to go into the back country, um, certainly the snowboarders are finding out that it's much easier and more affordable than a splitboard to actually travel with a pair of snowshoes and then they fit very conveniently onto their backpacks. So it's just a really simple, easy way to get around the Alpine area. And of course, you know, we've got a number of people who go out to a place like Blue Lake to go mountaineering. Not all of them are skiers at all. They tend to be more climbers. Yeah. And so it's just a real simple um, functional tool to get around the Alpine. Okay, yeah. so um, now in relation to, you're obviously doing a lot with the winter sports um, and um, as you said, it, winter sports probably tends to be the time you, you're most focused on. But what do you do during the summertime? Look, in, in summer, we basically, um, not only do we run our normal retail store, but, um, you know, we also offer a whole range of equipment for hire, and we're one of the few businesses that actually um, offer that equipment. And a lot of it relates because of the, the terrain and also the weather conditions here in, in the Alpine area. You just can't get by with a, a very cheap tent. Um, down here and certainly if you're going to hike you want a nice sturdy pair of boots so um, it's quite not unusual for people to arrive down here having left the northern beaches and they've got their shorts and singlets and a pair of thongs on and they arrive down here and it's uh, still around zero degrees and, and blizzarding so you know we we do um, offer uh, things like thermals and rucksacks and all of that sort of general stuff but I guess the big difference with us is we also have a very expensive hire um, of things like packs, baby carriers, uh, we don't hire out hiking boots but you know all of the, the sort of tents and things that many people can't afford if they're looking for a, a better quality sort of thing, um, that's the sort of stuff that we specialise in and it definitely helps for us to uh, educate people a little bit more and you know we do sell lots of books and maps because you know people do turn up down here um, not so well prepared and so that gives us an opportunity to help people understand a little bit more about why when you come to the mountains you do need to be prepared and definitely coming into an alpine environment you need a little bit more information and a little more preparation than just going to the beach or somewhere where it's a bit more summery. Okay, and you've got, uh, you've, so you've got the, the main store there in Jindabyne and you've got an outlet in Perisher, uh, and that's the two locations, is it, or are you uh, located in other places as well? No, it, it's only those two locations because that enables us to provide instruction and guiding um, from there. 
helps the resorts to um, provide a service that they normally don't do. Uh, and again, it's an opportunity to um, give people opportunities to try before you buy and demo equipment. Uh, it helps with the guides to, as we found out, um, you know, we've got great people working with us who can help you understand better the, the use of different equipment, how performance means something, lighter weight equipment, all of those aspects. Um, and when we're out guiding people, it enables us to showcase, you know, just simple things like layering. I mean, we're certainly a, a good partner with the brand you're familiar with, Wilderness Wear. Um, and just having good equipment and having an understanding of how appropriate clothing when you're in the backcountry, you want layering, not necessarily padded clothing that resort people may well have. Yep. Um, you know, simple sort of things like taking a first aid kit, um, you know, those sorts of things that a guide would typically have. But you as a, a customer being involved in an activity, you need to start to learn those sorts of um, preparation so that it helps you to be safe and enjoy your day in the mountains a little bit more. Is there a snowshoeing season? I'm assuming you've got to have reasonable sort of snow, but when, when's the best time of the year to, to, to go snowshoeing? I guess this this year with COVID's been a very interesting sort of thing and typically, again, we had some pretty extensive snowfalls here in the Alpine area um, through May. Um, as is not uncommon, we actually then had a warm spell um, before we got into June and the conditions were less than ideal. Um, but typically people would look at the winter as they do with the resorts and think that that's June through to around basically the end of September, early October. But for us, you know, as far as snowshoeing, we pretty much look from Easter right through to almost November when, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to actually go and take a pair of snowshoes into the high alpine and actually whether or not you're just a hiker um, looking to spend time up there because, you know, not everyone's going to carry around a pair of micro spikes or a crampon yep. um, and once you get up into um, those higher alpine areas, suddenly a pair of snowshoes becomes a little more practical. For um, the snowboarders, they can actually get out and then ride their snowboards down the chutes and gullies. Yep. And for people who would typically be a bushwalker, then essentially they're going to be a lot safer than just relying on, say, a pair of hiking poles and possibly something like micro spikes or something like that. Well, I think particularly uh, given the weekend, we, did, we just had a couple of weekends ago uh, where the, the, it was lovely soft powdery snow um, I think uh, having a pair of footwear, even with spikes, uh, wouldn't have been the most practical sort of thing, and the snowshoes really, really sort of earned their keep on that sort of day. Absolutely. And, I mean, you know, I guess the the thing is trying to encourage people to have that understanding because plenty of people walk out of the resorts, whether it be somewhere like Persia and, and walk towards um, somewhere like Charlotte's Pass, thinking that, well, I'm I'm just going to go for a, a little bit of a wander and then get halfway up the road and realise that the snow's knee deep on that road. Yeah. Um, and that's not the most practical. And, of course, when they see someone in a pair of snowshoes, it's a real revelation. But we've also been responsible for developing some of the snowshoe trails that are in Perisher. Um, you know, we've got a number of 
dedicated trials now that have got interpretive signage. And that's really helped to educate people a little bit more about the opportunities and the experiences. Um, certainly plenty of people who've got bushwalking experience might go up to um, places like the White's River Corridor to visit the huts um, and that sort of experience. But there's plenty of other resort people who would never have heard of snowshoeing and they can basically follow some little short trails that gives them some interpretive signage. Um, there's another short trail at the back um, into North Terrace, it's more about the history of the resort and also the lodges there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's quite a bit of diversity. Um, we also, back in um, 2014, we actually ran a, a couple of races, um, and they were the inaugural snowshoe races that were in Australia. Partly, again, I had staff who'd been involved in um, races in North America, and we saw another way that we could introduce another element with um, mostly trail runners. Uh, there's a very strong group of trail runners in um, Canberra, and so in a partnership with some of those guys, we put together um, the Snow Mountains Snowshoe Stomp, and we ran that two years. There was a six-kilometre and a 12-kilometre event. And then again in 2016, we partnered um, with another trail running business and um, down at Falls Creek and we ran a snow river, a, sorry, a snowy trail marathon um, down at Falls Creek in September 2016. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a growing awareness, I guess, of the diversity of experiences you can have. And certainly it probably helps that... Uh, Way back in the day, um, with World Magazine, snowshoes were featured on the front cover. We've also had some other articles linking climate change and the snowy mountains. In 2013, we had a feature in Palm Life Magazine um, where I took a journalist uh, all the way from Threadbo. We spent the night out camping near Siemens Hut and then continued on to Charlotte Pass the following day. Yep. Um, so that was a, a very interesting sort of experience. And back in 2014, we even set up a Facebook page in the early days, um, Snowshoe Australia, but to be honest, it doesn't get a lot of traction, but that's in part because we haven't had really an opportunity to spend a lot of time on it. But, you know, all of those opportunities are there, and I guess I'd hope that uh, people who are interested in bushwalking here and hiking, um, as well as people involved in backcountry and the snow sports, start to understand a little bit more about the opportunities that snowshoes actually offer. Okay, so what are the key things that people need to know to make snowshoeing a better experience? You talked about layering, and I must admit, I think everyone's used to seeing people in big puffy jackets, which look really good when you're sitting in the resort, but probably not so functional when you're outside moving around. But what are the other key things that people need to know? I guess the the key aspects of a snowshoe and the important parts of it are actually the way the simplicity of the binding is a very key feature um, because obviously you want it to be easy to get in and out of. Yep. The other aspect is you need 
good crampons on the base, and that doesn't mean that they need to be stainless steel. They can certainly be alloy, because um, But again, that's what gives you traction, no matter whether it's soft snow or um, icy conditions. The, sa- the shape of the snowshoe is also a relevant part, because some of the plastic snowshoes, for anyone who's ever had experience walking with them, you kind of have a little bit of a swagger, I guess, bit like a gunslinger, um, because otherwise if you try and walk in a normal gate, you typically find that you will step on them and sometimes trip yourself off. Yep. So that tends to be a different sort of thing. And then other brands like, you know, the ones that we're doing, lightness is absolutely, as it is in bushwalking and a number of other sports um, involving rucksacks, if you can get something with those really important critical features, but then you get lightweight, um, then that's a massive difference. And no doubt you had that experience when you used the northern light ones that you had when you were here, because those particular snowshoes, relative to, say, some of the plastic versions that commonly are available for hire, typically, you know, you're going to save yourself 20 to 30% um, in the weight. And, you know, that performance difference is quite a massive thing, especially if you are going to travel something like 10 kilometres or like in the case of Terra Rome, who's doing this trip on the Australian Alpine walking track, um, where you're going to walk the whole distance of that. Having something that's lightweight is a massive benefit. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it's a bit like hiking boots as opposed to trail runners, isn't it? It's sort of, there are advantages to the heavier stuff, but you pay for it in exertion and and uh, and, but, and and sweat in the process. Yeah, also, the, the interesting thing, like the plastic ones do tend to be quite noisy, for example, whereas the fabric ones, a lot of people say, oh, but they can't be that strong. In reality, um, they're actually the strongest ones. Um, and typically people would use an alloy snowshoe um, with fabric because they dampen and cushion, so on icy or soft snow, they're still great from that point of view, but they're also the most durable of all of the snowshoes. Okay. Um, certainly my original pair that are now um, just on 40 years, um, which were original brand, funnily enough, called Sherpa, um, those things are still quite functional. My northern light, um, which I bought in 1995, only two years after that particular company got started in North America. Um, they're still in you know, really good nick, and I could still use them today um, because, again, being lightweight, they're super durable, and uh, I might have to change some of the crampons because of the wear and stuff like that, but you know, they're, they're still in fantastic condition even after 25 years. Now, what sort of snowshoeing services does Wilderness Sports provide? I guess the the unique things about Wilderness Sports is that not only do we offer guiding um, so we can show you how to use them and where to use them and some of the differences with performance, but we have you know over 70 pairs available of different models and different types and different styles of snowshoes available for hire. And then we also have quite an extensive array um, available for retail as well. So it's pretty much a one-stop shop when it comes to snowshoes. We're not locked into any one brand. We actually have a range and choice to accommodate people. And most of those people can see 
either on our social media sort of pages and um, plenty of opportunities to sort of um, almost participate in the experience um, via that. And then our website, you know, it enables us to provide mail order uh, anywhere from places down into Tassie to um, now overseas. We've, we've certainly sent a few pairs across to places like New Zealand and elsewhere. Okay, and we'll, we'll put the links to uh, Wilderness uh, uh, Sports in the show notes. So if people are interested in that and want to know where to go, uh, have a look at the show notes on the Australian Hiker website. Okay, so we've been talking with Bruce Easton about options for snowshoeing in the Australian Alps. Bruce, thank you for your time. That's awesome. I really appreciate it, Tim, and uh, I look forward to hopefully giving people the opportunity to come and share some of those experiences and the whole joy of snowshoeing in the Australian Alps. So now, in addition to finding out a bit about the basics of snowshoeing, uh, we've listened to some interviews on the day. We've heard from Bruce, who runs Rildenus uh, Sports up in Perisher. And really, from our perspective, we had a, a really well-organised and enjoyable day. Our guide, Danielle, was excellent. Uh, she was attentive. Uh, she was concerned about looking after us. Uh, she explained what we were doing, and, and, and it was a really enjoyable sort of day, and it was almost a bit like you know, having a walk with friends in some respects because you were sitting and chatting uh, or walking and chatting as you're going. So um, I can't speak highly enough of both Danielle uh, and of the, uh, the experience provided to us by Wilderness Sports. Yeah, Danielle was a very, very friendly person and um, really made it an enjoyable and easy um, an easy day, you know, we were thinking about what we were doing and um, and she made us feel quite at home and quite comfortable and, um, you know, she was obviously very knowledgeable. Now, two things just to finish off this episode. If you go to the written show notes for this podcast, We've done a written version of the podcast and we'll find, you'll find the link in the show notes uh, that includes a YouTube video of the day uh, uh, in photos and video just to show you what it was like uh, and it gives you a good idea of what we were doing throughout the day. Now, just as a final thing for this episode, uh, Wilderness Sports in Jindabyne has been kind to donate a very generous prize for our newsletter subscribers. Um, I won't say exactly what that is, but it is it is quite a generous offer. And to be in the chance to win this prize, you need to be a newsletter subscriber and to receive the newsletter, which will be sent out by email on the 1st of September. So you've got a couple of weeks to go through and subscribe. Um, all we need you to do is be a subscriber, answer a couple of questions, and you'll go in the draw to win this prize. And it's a great prize. And, uh, yeah, Bruce was very generous with the offer. So uh, make sure that if you're not already subscribed to the newsletter, you you get that um, happening and uh, check out the newsletter and... Uh, answer a few questions and who knows, you could be doing some interesting things uh, during the winter out of Perisher. Okay, that's all for this week. Bye for now. And bye from me. (laughs) 
In this podcast, we talk about uh, a bit about. In this top, uh, and as a last interview, we'll talk to Bruce Easton from Wilderness Sports, uh, who will talk a bit about. In simple terms, snowshoeing is just an extension. <laughs> in simple terms, snowshoeing is just an extension of hiking, except with 